Whatever it is you want to do in life, you'll be able to do. It's always you versus you. That it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, you can achieve anything that you set your mind to. Spend the rest of your natural life waking up and going after it. This is my purpose, and you will not stop me. You are listening to Mojo Sports. Yeah, hello and welcome back to our one-on-one series. And today we have a very special guest for you. None other than our very own Stacey Spear. Stacey, how are we doing? Oh, I'm good, mate. I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, very, very good. Uh, so listeners, we thought what would be a really good opportunity is for you guys to get a little bit more insight into each of the panel members. So Stacey, let's get straight into it. Take me back, all the way back. Uh, tell us a little bit about you know where you grew up, your family, you know, a bit of schooling. I grew up in Goulburn. Uh, you know, halfway between here and Canberra. Um, there's really not much to do but play sport. Um, so that's that's really all I did. Uh, you know, my family, my mum my and my dad, uh, you know, they had their own business. Uh, so they, my dad was always working. Um, my mum looked after us for a while and then went back to work. And I've got two sisters um, and one lives in Canberra, one still lives in Goulburn, which is all really nice. And uh, I'm really missing them at the moment being in lockdown. But okay hopefully get through and get back down to see them soon but uh yeah Goulburn was a sleepy place man like uh you know we've got the you know it's very famous it's got the supermax prison and the police academy which made you know doing anything illegal quite difficult um so it was really good that sport was there as a as an as an outlet for a lot of us young kids and uh you know I, I grew up with a couple of boys that went on to play in the NRL um so that was a it was a fun time yeah no it's um it's an interesting area, Goulburn. Uh, I'm, I'm sure a few of our listeners have travelled there or been there. So tell us a little bit about your schooling. Oh, look, um, yeah, I, I I, never really fitted in. I was always like that tomboy kid. You know, I grew up with, with, um, with a whole bunch of boys as my best mates and the girls that I had that were really good friends, we just all loved to rough and tumble around, to be honest. And, um, you know, grades-wise, you know, I'm, I'm pretty smart. It's okay. I was never the best at school, but sport was always something that I did at school um, and sort of just helped me push through um, and just sort of kept me active and I just fell in love with every aspect of it really. You know, I I, I went to, you know, Mawari High School. I was in the same year as Todd Carney, um, Dane Weston as well, and Jared Croker was a couple of years underneath me. So it was just, you know, uh, coming from a country town but, I also struggled a little bit with being gay, you know, being in a gay in a being gay in a country town. It's not the best of experiences, and um, you know, unfortunately, I was targeted at high school a lot for that, you know, for for different reasons. Um, I didn't actually know that I was gay in high school. Um, I just thought that I just really liked to play sport, and I just had a lot of really close girlfriends. But here we are. Um, but yeah, it was it was an experience, and I, you know, the friends that I've got from high school, I still keep and will do for the rest of my life because you know they're the only ones that were really there to experience the things that we did. Um, you know, the town went through a whole bunch of you know really sad times. You know, there's a high rate of suicides and things like that. So, you know, it was a for a quiet town. There was a lot going on from a, a society and a socio cultural perspective. You know, it's really you know made a lot of us had to grow up a little bit quicker than we probably should have. Yeah, absolutely. No, you've, you've spoken about yeah, some of the amazing people that have come through and some of your own sort of challenges there. Um, we're going to get to this later on, but, 
you know, thinking about, you know, some of, you know, even maybe some young young women who, who are out there in the country maybe experiencing some of the, the, the challenges that you had growing up. Oh, look, you know, and, and we'll, we'll go into this later, but sport, sport for me was my biggest, my biggest outlet. You know, it was being around similar-minded people um, and really finding a place to harness the things that I, I was feeling at the time. Um, so if you can get involved in some sort of sport, I, I truly believe that it, it saves your life. And uh, I will preach that message until, you know, the day that I'm no longer breathing. Yeah, so that's that's the one thing that I'd give anybody, anybody who's struggling with a lack of identity or not, or not feeling like they belong. Yeah, no, it's so powerful. It's definitely an important therapy for many of us, that's for sure. Well, t- talk to us a little bit about your sporting career uh, so far. Well, what sports have you been involved in? Oh, look, I played everything growing up, you know, basketball, indoor soccer, cricket, softball. Um, I spent a lot of time playing softball. Uh, I used to watch the basketball and the netball on like ABC on Sunday afternoons and that was really my first like taste of women playing sport on TV. Um, So I used to do that pretty religiously. Uh, But, you know, I stopped playing team sports around, you know, 16 because of society pressures, you know, and being a professional female athlete wasn't even a thing, um, which is probably one of the biggest regrets that I have. But, you know, I played softball at a really high level um, through my teens, um, but unfortunately the pathway that I had kind of shut down when our association went under when I was, you know, 15, 16. So I was travelling so far to play for South Coast and regional academies and stuff like that. It was just so much pressure on my family because, my, you know, my dad was working all the time, self-employed, owned business, that sort of stuff. Um, you know, I just, I just couldn't manage it all, the school and getting a job and, and whatnot. So I ended up playing for New South Wales a couple of times softball when I was younger and then sort of after I stopped playing team sports I really discovered skateboarding which was a, is a massive love of mine and uh, you know me and my friends we'd skate around the local skate park which consisted of like a tiny mini ramp and like a concrete area with a block in the middle of it and and that was pretty much it um, until really late at night um, and being across from the police academy in Goulburn <clears throat> they used to pull up their cars and put in their floodlights for us because there was no lighting at the skate park it was a you know, not, not the place to be back in the day. Um, but they used to come up and put the lights on for us so we could skate around with me and my friends. And then, um, you know, me and a, one of my friends, Nicole, we were the only girls, like, in the skate park. And uh, we ended up going on a tour, skate tour, when we were 17. We just packed up, the, wow. packed up the car, packed up, you know, the tents and whatnot and went down south coast and skated all the parks down there, skated all around Canberra. I think we were on the road for, like, maybe you know, two weeks, something like that. It was just, it was such a cool experience that, you know, I loved it. Um, and I've always skated as a form of stress relief. Like I'm not great. And I'm, as we're talking, we're watching Hayley Wilson on the Olympics right now um, for skateboarding. And I'm nowhere as good as that. <laughs> um, but it's always just been something where I can just focus and just cruise and, and just have that feeling of just nothingness um, for hours. So that was that, that. So yeah, big big skateboarding fan. And then um, you know, I moved to Sydney. I started playing baseball because I loved softball and wanted to get back into something. And um, I started playing for the Sydney Women's Baseball League, which is a primarily lesbian league in the inner west here, which was really good for me because I was finally in a community that I felt like I belonged. Um, so I've been playing there for eight years. We've won a premiership. I got Rookie of the Year when I first started, MVP the year after that, Most Improved Player after that, which is interesting enough, um, as a pitcher. So my shoulder is, has taken a lot of batterings over the last couple of years. And then 
pretty much from there I started playing gridiron, which is just where all everything sort of started. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you, you touched on it quite a bit there, including the importance of pathways. You know, it, it's definitely certainly still a big problem in Australia, you know, for young women, you know, in, in certain sports where, you know, you get to a certain age and that pathway just sort of disappears, you know, hopefully that's starting to improve as we build a little bit more publicity and coverage in and around these sports. But yeah, um, it's interesting to see, you know, just how many athletes we're losing, um, you know, at, at that 16, 17, at those critical years, just because those pathways aren't there. And like you said, it, it puts quite a lot of strain on, on everyone uh, to continue with it. So, um, well, the thing, the thing was, is, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I have done some MCing work for sports New South Wales and I do a lot of the girls get active programs which is where we go out to the schools um, or it's usually funded by a council and they put on an event for all the girls in high school. And so I ended up and I interviewed athlete, panel athletes and things like that. And uh, at the last one I went to, which was out west, and uh, a teacher was actually a, um, a Wallaroo. She's played for the Wallaroos and she was a PE teacher there. So she came up and spoke to the girls as well. And she asked the question of uh, how many of you don't play sport because, one, you can't afford it, Two, your parents don't think it's important for your development, or three, you've got a job and you just can't you just can't do it. And a majority of these kids put their hands up, and that just made me so sad. That state of affairs where that we're still having that issue of, you know, it, sport not being recognised as a valuable piece of teenage development, especially for young girls, and it's just becoming so expensive. Yeah, absolutely. And you wonder, you know, we're not just talking about five, ten percent of the talent that we're losing from from these sports, we're talking huge numbers. So, um, you know, the, the more coverage and, and hopefully that's something that our network can bring as well, the, the more coverage we can bring to these sports, hopefully we can um, continue to support these young athletes. Talk to us a little bit about your next journey. So obviously you've, you've, um, you've achieved so much already before you uh, reached Gridiron, but, yeah, talk to us about your Gridiron journey. Oh, back when we first started the league in 2013, um, one of my ha- my housemates at the time, she was playing AFL, you know, uh, these people looking to start up a gridiron team. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, cool. Previously to that, you know, the only football that I'd ever really watched was, you know, The Little Giants, which was one of my favourite movies. Um, but then also too, like I remember being really young and swooping on uh, SBS late at night with my TV in my bedroom and there was the Super Bowl on with, uh, I think it was the Bucks. The Bucks were playing. This is back years and years and years ago. So it always it was a, fort, a sport that sort of fascinated me, um, and then we started playing, and we were horrible. Like we're like horrible. Like couldn't tackle, couldn't take a hit. We were playing on hockey fields that uh, you know that had the concrete underneath. Jeez. So it was it was hectic and it was ghetto, um, but we fell in love with it because it's such an amazing game. Um, you know, and since then, since 2013, I've only missed one game as a result of having my daughter. Uh, which happened to be on a weekend, which sucked. Um, <laughs> you know, I met my partner. We've been together for seven years now playing football. You know, she coached us to a championship in 2018 and at nationals pregnant, 40 weeks pregnant on the sideline. Mm. There's actually footage of, you know, Mackenzie being wheeled down the sideline in a bassinet in the grand final. And so she's a true football baby. Um, you know, we've won four championships, um, represented New South Wales three times. And in 2017, I went over to Canada for the Women's World Cup as a film analyst and support staff. So I broke down the film, worked with the coaches and helped with the athletes' performance through there. I mean, it, it's uh, for, for those that obviously follow it, you, you'll um, understand some of the complexity with it. But 
How did you find, I, I guess, learning the game? How, how did you sort of approach that? Because as you spoke about it, it's this completely foreign sport and, and there's just so much uh, there's just so much technical knowledge that you need to kind of be successful. How did you go about uh, learning the sport? Huh. That's actually really funny because uh, on my very first day of training, the very first session, you know, I, I was being, being assessed by my coach and he's going to me, he's like, okay, well, you're not fast and you're not strong. And I'm like is there some sort of compliment? Because I'm fairly certain this is a compliment <laughs> sandwich type situation. Um, and so that was always the running joke. I was not fast and I wasn't strong. So I didn't know what position that I could potentially play in until I said, hey, look, I, could, I can throw a ball pretty well. And they go, oh, okay. And as, as you'd know, you know, being a quarterback is one of the hardest sporting roles in the history of sport. Um, and uh, so that was getting thrown in the deep end for that, having an offensive line that was tiny, tiny. And I'm getting pounded by, you know, players who have played for the Gillaroos, playing rugby league, and it was it was a hectic time. But learning learning the game, it's so strategic. And I just, as a result of not being fast and not being strong, I just got smart. So my football IQ, I spent a lot of time, um, you know, looking, watching football, talking to coaches, you know, it's just those really small intricacies and those one percenters that make it make everything the difference in, in football. So whether it's your handoff speed, your your footwork, your, your reads and things like that, it, it came over time, um, but it's still an ongoing process. Like I'm still learning things now and I've been playing for almost 10 years. It's craziness. Yeah, and so, you know, rather than sort of dip your toe in the water, uh, you, you've signed yourself up to, yeah, like you said, the toughest position in sport. I guess talk to us a little bit about some of that analytical component to the sport. So obviously you've got to know your position, you've got to know what you're doing, you've got to know what your teammates are doing, and then you've got to know what the opposition's doing. I, I think it's, um, yeah, like you said, it's one of the most unique um, positions in, in world sport. Talk to us a little bit about some of the analytical side to the quarterback position. Yeah, look, I, uh, I actually didn't know until I started playing quarterback that I have a real issue with my left and right. And it's such a it's such a basic thing, um, but it, I really struggle with it. And whether that's some form of like dyslexia or something, I don't know. But that, that made my journey a lot harder than it probably should have been. Um, but just watching things, I'm watching a lot of, uh, you know, the NFL coaches doing like the quarterback breakdowns with individual athletes and things like that really helped me understand. Plus playing a lot of Madden. Like I played a lot of Madden when we first started just so I could see all the things that I needed to see. And, you know, football such a such a team sport that if one person doesn't do what they're supposed to do, then the whole play falls apart. So you really put your trust and essentially in the quarterback's case, your life into the hands of the people that are supposed to be protecting you and that everyone is supposed to know what they're doing and they're on the same page. And uh, so that was really freeing. And it's kind of like uh, I've never been in a team sport where the camaraderie and the trust um, is there as much as it is. It's just it's it's next level. And unless you've been there, it's it's hard to describe. It's really hard to describe. I guess my next question is talk to us a little bit about your bodyguard. So, again, for those that... Uh, follow the sport quarterback you are you're very exposed to a lot of uh, I guess talented athletes on the defensive side that are coming in to take your head off so talk to us a little bit about your bodyguards over the years have you been pretty well protected or have you sort of taken quite a few hits uh, throughout your career oh in 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 the early days uh you know the first three years we yeah we were horrible my offensive line was tiny we had no idea what we were doing 
Um, you know, we, we barely won any games. But uh, as, as the league progressed and as the athletes that we had came on board, um, you know, I was the most sacked quarterback for the first three years. And, and I finished seasons with multiple broken bones. Like I've had multiple sets of broken ribs, which, you know, is, is horrible. It's the most horrendous in, in injury I've ever had. Um, but over that time, the the size of the girls changed. They got a little bit bigger. They became a little bit more athletic um, and it was matched on both sides. So when I started playing um, quarterback in, uh, well, after, after, let me backtrack a bit. I played quarterback for three years and then um, after I had a, an injury, which we'll talk about later, um, I moved over to the defensive side of the ball and did that for you know quite a number of years and then came back to play quarterback. And coming back to play quarterback after having such a long time spent on the defense and having the protection around me made me a much better quarterback because all of a sudden I could see what was happening on the other side of the ball. I had the protection. I didn't get sacked once when I came back to play quarterback for the Lions. Um, it was It was great. That's a good feeling. Yeah, absolutely. We won some games. It was nice. Yeah, and it's the sweet science, isn't it? It's really your ability to understand what everyone's kind of doing and then trying to outsmart people. Um, And then, yeah, your body's completely on the line uh, every single play. So, no, definitely. But the thing thing is with those, you know, with the big, you know, we call them the engine room. They're the big dogs. You know, this is where where the magic happens. You know, they, they never stop going 100%. Um, so you really got to give them credit and, uh, you know, it's the most, like, I love my offensive line and, and I will love, and I will go to the ends of the earth with any of them because I know they would do the same for me. Um, but they don't get half the credit that they deserve. No, not at all. Absolutely. And it's definitely your shout, uh, at the pub as they, as they protect you, uh, throughout the season. Talk to us a little bit about the training side. So how, what was your approach to, um, you know, obviously staying in shape and, and, and obviously, you know, getting, getting your fitness to, to where it needs to be to, to perform um, in your sport? Yeah, look, I am, um, you know, in the early days, we were, we were just repping as much as we can. You know, it, training for football, it, it is really dependent on the side of the ball that you play. So from a defensive perspective, um, you know, you're, you're working to a, a scheme or a concept and you are reading, reading what you see on the field. So the training-wise um, that we've found um, after being in coaching for the last two seasons is that, you know, on defense, they need to see things as much as possible to be able to know how to react properly, whereas on offense, we need the reps. You know, we need the reps because it's all timing. We need, um, you know, just togetherness because it takes a long time for an offense to click. Um, so individually, <clears throat> we would always, you know, work work our practices as, as much as a team as we possibly can, but also just reps and reps and reps of throwing the ball, doing, you know, a whole heap of agility, doing a whole heap of speed. And then the weights, I was never much of a weights kind of person. Um, but, you know, the athletes that I had surrounded myself with were just amazing at what they did. You know, their body conditioning was um, was fantastic. Um, you know, and the stories that have come out of our sport about coming back from injury and things like that are just, you know, amazing to tell. And you said you played uh, a, a fair few years on the defensive side. What, what, what sort of position did you play? I played defensive back. Um, so my coach said to me, he's like, look, you can, you can sling the ball. Um, but I think you've got a higher ceiling on, on the other side of the ball, um, which, you know, was fine with me. You know, it wasn't until I had a, a you know, a really bad hit on the field um, 
that I sort of that changed my life in terms of the way that I saw myself. And moving over to the defensive side of the ball made me put myself in charge of how I was going to be on the field rather than playing a quarterback where essentially I was under attack the entire time. And what I found was, you know, I had undiagnosed anxiety for years and playing quarterback was actually so bad for me because I was not only getting attacked from physically from the outside, but mentally on the inside. And you can't be a quarterback when you're not mentally tough. And you just can't do it. So moving over to the defensive side of the ball was probably one of the best things that's ever happened to me in my life because I no longer became a victim. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to get run over on the field anymore or in life. And, uh, you know, that's everything started to change from there. So I attribute everything that, that's happened in the last, you know, eight, ten years to being smashed on the field really, really badly. Yeah, and, and um, we'll dig into some of those challenges a little bit more. But, no, it, it, it's inspiring, you know, so you're sort of, sort of taking control and jumping on the other side of the ball, bit of a metaphor for life too. It's, it's your turn to sort of get out there and, uh, and uh, yeah, take control. Um, well, it's about being, uh, you know, we, we have a saying and it's, a, it's about being the hammer, not the nail, mm. you know, and, and until, and it's a weird concept because, you know, my coaches would say to me for years, you know, be the hammer, not the nail, don't get hit, be hit first. And it's not until you actually get the feeling of running, and this is the analogy I use with all my kids and, and all my athletes is, I want you to run at the person like you're Harry Potter running through platform nine and three quarters, mm. literally. And they, they do that and all of a sudden you go, oh, damn, like I laid that chick out and I'm tiny. You know, it's all physics. Yep. You know, and the more that you look at the science behind it, it is all physics, but it's that mindset. And football is such a mindset game that, you know, if, if you can build your physical to uh, match what you're feeling on the inside, it's just, you know, I've seen girls be agoraphobic to play football and now becoming out of their shells and just seeing that sort of development just shows me that sport is an amazing vehicle for change. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just so important when you're on the field to just, just no hesitation, you know, you can't flinch. Uh, if, you, if you're half a second late, you're uh, you're obviously going to mess up the play. But, but yeah, like, like we've spoken about, um, you can get yourself hurt. So, no, it's 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 important. So tell us a little bit about the, the shift then. Um, so um, did you continue to play whilst doing a bit of coaching? Um, have you sort of shifted into coaching full-time? Tell us a little bit about that journey um, into um, sort of that clipboard role. Oh, look, at um, yeah, it hasn't um, – it sort of fell into our lap last season. Uh, you know, we uh, we were supposed to have our head coach come over from the U.K., uh, and then COVID happened. And um, so he couldn't come over. You know, we had the playbook. I was going to quarterback. Uh, everything was, we were going to do everything remotely. We utilised technology quite a bit. Um, but then unfortunately it just got too hard with the head coach. And, um, you know, my partner stepped up into the head coaching role and I played and offensive coordinated at the same time, which is horrendously difficult and I would not advise anyone to do it. Um <laughs> that putting together a new team and things like that as well so last year it was a massive learning curve for me I spent hours upon hours upon hours on the phone over FaceTime with Zoom with coaches from the US um, you know who have supported me through my journey for the last couple of years you know the World Cup coaches and things like that just getting them to feed as much knowledge into me as I possibly can um, just so I could be the best sort of play caller and, and, and coach the girls as best as I knew how. Um, so we we did that. It was a struggle last year, but we did it. And then so this year, um, 
you know, I'm going to step away from the ball for a little bit because our numbers are really good, hoping hoping that we get a season and just sort of focus a little bit in on, on you know, the coaching aspect of things and just getting my IQ a little bit, little bit more up there, learning how to individually coach the athletes and things like that. So it's been, it, it's a lot of work, but I love it. Like I could spend hours doing, watching football. And what, what have you found to be, I guess, the toughest part of coaching? Managing the different personalities, that's for sure. Like, you know, when you've got, I mean, in New South Wales, we play nine aside. Um, up from seven aside, but not the full 11 aside um, that the men in the NFL play. But that's still a lot of people. You know, that's still a whole team of people on each side of the ball that have all different types of egos, all different types of personalities. And honestly, it's that that is the hardest thing. And Stacey, they've had, uh, some have had good days, some have had bad days, and uh, that's not always easy to tell. And then um, uh, players have also got relatives that also get involved in sport. It's, um, yeah, that, that's definitely that's definitely a, a tricky part of coaching. And I'm sure all the coaches, all, all of our listeners who, who do some coaching, uh, whether it's at, at a social level or an elite level, are nodding along uh, at home. Uh, tell us about, you know, what, what's one of the things you enjoy the most about coaching? I love seeing um, my players be able to achieve things that they didn't think were possible. So, you know, my my mentor and our offensive philosophy that I learned from my favourite coach is to play total release football and that's where you know your job uh, and you can just play freely. You know, that's that's where the magic happens. And the goal is to get every player on side, that side of the ball into that position so that they can achieve something spectacular so that they can sit down at the dinner table in 10 years and go, you know, to their kids, oh, you know, I played football back in the day. Oh, I remember this one play where this amazing thing happened. You know, I just want every athlete to have that one experience that they can go, that was the best time of my life because I achieved something that I didn't think was possible. And uh, and I guess we're going we're gonna to talk about, um, you know, more of the some of your achievements that, that, that you've had um, so far in, in your career. Um, but in terms of that coaching side, have you seen some big development in some of your players? Obviously that that's got to feel, that's got to feel great as, as you've spoken about. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Like I said, you know, my, my O-line, they were new to us in uh, 2019, I think. And um, they were young, 18, 19, you know, big girls that didn't quite know what to do with themselves. Um, and one of them, she was, you know, s- s- severely agoraphobic, just, you know, with socially withdrawn and, and, you know, I think she just got dragged along by her friend at the time. But it's actually been, she's become one of my best players because she's the smartest on the O-line. Uh, you know, she's willing to give everything and I've just seen her personality change over these last couple of years that it just makes me so happy. But from a, you know, from a, a talent perspective, um, you know, we've had, you know, the, our organisation, so the Sydney Uni organization you know the men's team won a championship last year you know they have they've won 21 championships straight they've had this amazing dynasty um from a winning perspective and one of the best coaches that you know we were really lucky to come in and and work with a little bit um so when representative football gets back to where it's going um you know kj my partner is actually the linebackers coach for the australian national team um so hopefully that all you know, happens down the road, but I'm really looking forward to working a little bit more with the non-contact, non-contact side of things, which is what I've been doing, 
you know, um, coaching kids in schools for the last couple of years, which is that flag aspect Excellent. of the game. So that's going to be in the in the Olympics and as a demonstration sport in 2028, I think it is. Um, so, yeah, we're really... We're working at that from an organisational level because I'm on the board of Gridiron Australia as the Emerging Programs Director. So we're just putting together all our, you know, our pathway pieces to get a national team competitive up and running as well as sort of focusing on getting the girls that we've got now up to that World Cup sort of level. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. We, we spoke about pathways a little bit earlier and the importance of trying to build something to attract people to the sport. And I guess some of the things that sort of steer people away from some of the real physical violent sports like, um, you know, gridiron or rugby league and things like that is that contact. So, yeah, there's been a ton of research and we see participation levels growing in, in sort of touch football, flag football. It's definitely sort of that that pathway. And then once you get them into the system, um, you know, they're, they're sort of connecting up with with amazing coaches like yourself, Stace, and, uh, and yeah, building that confidence and then moving over into the mainstream sport. So, no, it's a great strategy and it's something that I think a lot of sports could could learn from uh, in terms of trying to grow their numbers. Okay, let, let's move forward now. Let, let's talk a little bit about um, some of the challenges that you've had on the field. So, obviously, you've had quite, quite a long career. Um, I'm sure that there's a lot of things that sort of um, come to mind when we ask this question. But, yeah, what would you say, I guess, one of your biggest challenges has been on the field? Oh yeah, look, you know, it was um, you know, I know I reference back to that 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 point that changed my life completely was that really bad hit, right? And uh, you know, it it happened to be one from one of my best mates now, CJ Sims, and anyone who's listening to this podcast probably knows the Sims name and automatically strikes fear into the hearts of anyone being tackled by anyone with the last name Sims. Um, so CJ used to play for Queensland. And we came up against them in 2016 at Nationals and it was just a really bad, technically bad hit on me not knowing because um, I was playing kickoff for the first time and, as you know, special teams is just a hectic time of just collisions over collisions and it's just, it's craziness. You have to play, you have to be crazy to play on special teams. Human pinball. Um, human pinball, for sure. Um, it was my first time on special teams on kickoff and Neckman and I know I've got CJ just her face in my face and then I was on the ground and um, it was actually pretty bad. It was a suspected neck fracture. You know, they took half an hour to get me off the field into the into the ambulance. I was in the hospital for a couple of days, horrendous concussion, all that sort of stuff. And it took me about 12 weeks to sort of rehab that um, physically, but mentally it took a little bit longer. But again, during that time was when I discovered, no, I'm not going to be subject to being run over hopefully by CJ Sims ever again. Um, and in life, I'm not going to let anyone run over me anymore. So, and, and like I said, you know, I had undiagnosed anxiety for years and it wasn't until that point that I actually saw someone about it. Um, you know, I got diagnosed with anxiety and depression. I got on my meds and my life changed, you know. And so CJ and I, CJ and I still talk, um, you know, she played a season with us uh, at the Lions when she came down to Sydney. Um, we've never had any bad blood. You know, we go way back. Um, to our time at Canada together and things like that. So there's never been any any bad bad blood between us. Um, it's actually been a, a, a mutual sort of hey, you know, you helped me change my life. You know, how can I how can I work with you to to help help your journey? Because she's just done an, an amazing 180 with her life as well, which is just craziness. Um, but it was that that was the hardest challenge that I've had to come back from. Um, physically and mentally at the same time. But once I did, God damn, like I, I had crackers of a season after that. No, that's uh, 
It really is incredible. And, and you talk a little bit about some of the, the mental health struggles that you have. And I think that's very, very important. Um, you know, I, I think we're both, um, you know, I, I guess as a community, we, we're, we're seeing more and more prevalence of mental health issues and the confidence of people to sort of come forward. Was that your experience? Did, did you did you sort of step forward? Was it family or friends that sort of urged you to sort of seek support? Or how did you sort of how did you sort of manage that through that period? Yeah, look, you know, I I had a I was in a work meeting one day and I had my first anxiety attack and I didn't know what it was and it was terrifying and it was that typical like, you know, you can't breathe and and, and the room starts going funny and you're trying to talk but nothing's coming out and it was just horrendous. And um, you know, I, I came home and I spoke to my partner about it. She's like, I really think you need to go see someone about this. And then it started happening more and more. And uh, so I went to the doctor, you know, I saw my therapist, things like that, and sorted myself out. Um, but there was a lot of triggers. You know, I, I, I discovered what my triggers were and it was, you know, a stress, stress-based type of anxiety. And it's just, it's been a constant battle on how to manage what's anxiety versus adrenaline versus nervousness versus you know just all those other feelings but you know sport and uh you know physical contact has just been my my release for that and which is why the lockdown so hard for people like us at the moment who need that physical contact and that release because you know I find it really hard to motivate myself on my own mm-hmm. you know I, I need a team sport to to keep keep me healthy which sucks yeah, no, and and I think you know some of those some of those they, those attacks. I I think that there's a lot of listeners that that can sort of relate to that and how how challenging and and, and scary uh, they would have been. But obviously, the the confidence to come forward, uh, talk to those around you, and get support. Um, you know, we talk so much about the physical training, but the importance. Um, and you spoke on you know uh, doing doing the work in therapy um, and working sort of through that. You sort of spoke about um, the importance of working on your mental health. Has that been a big influence for you um, yeah. in your personal life and your career so far? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, it wasn't until I started playing sport that, I mean, I started playing football that my career in sport took off. Um, and so it was really hard for me when I started working in the industry. I've been really privileged to work with some great organisations, um, but the sport industry hasn't been kind to women, you know, generally in the last however long you know it's only just starting to change now and a part of my managing my mental health came from managing to be comfortable being the only girl you know the only woman in the room which has happened a lot of times in 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 my career in sport um so drawing on just uh you know the motivation and just being able to keep calm you know I take you know supplements and things to help with um you know just being able to focus and relax um but yeah, there's there's been tough times for sure as a result of <laughs> mental health. Um, but it's just always important to know that you're never alone. Absolutely, and, and talk to us a little bit more about so so what what has been you know reflecting on all the things you've gone through off the field. What, what's sort of been your biggest challenge off the field? Oh, biggest challenge off the field was definitely changing careers and moving into the sports industry. You know, it's uh, it really pushed me hard to work for women's equity, like on and off the field. Uh, you know, when I've started a majority of my jobs, it's like, okay, I was the only girl that I could see. Uh, I was like, you know, how many women work for this organization? Oh, well, you know, as of yesterday, a hundred percent more because you're here. And so it's just like, you know, it, and so, um, so being in workplaces like that has been a struggle. Um, 
but I I never really understood that there was any form of um, you know a gender bias because I'd always I'd worked in organisations that had strong female leaders until I got into the sports industry, and it was all of a sudden not a female to be in sight. It was craziness, and I didn't understand. You know, I wasn't. I had always been privileged to be in a workplace that was uh, you know equitable for for women, and then to not be in that position kind of just opened up my eyes and I've gone, you know what, this isn't good enough. So it's just really pushed me really hard to work for, you know, women's equity. Mm. And, and and talking about some of that that advocacy, which, you know, is something I'm quite passionate about, is there a couple of key messages that you have, whether it's for, um, you know, uh, smaller organisations, is there a couple of key things that you've learned over the years that you think is really important in terms of, um, yeah, sort of that, that equity space? Yeah, look, you know, it's it's just about acknowledging that, uh, you know, the women are different in the workplace. You know, it's it's understanding that, you know, creating space for women isn't a bad thing. It's about working together and that's what feminism is about, really. It's creating an, an equal opportunity for everybody. It's not that women want your job. They just want a seat at the table. So it's just about opening up and creating space for them to come in and potentially show you what hasn't been seen before. And I, and we're getting there, you know. It, it's not about a power struggle. It's just, like I said, everyone gets a piece of pie. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and not to mention some of the huge benefits that organisations can have if, if they embrace diversity. Um, you know, uh, smaller organisations, is there a couple of key things that you've learned over the years that you think is really important in terms of, um, yeah, sort of that, that equity space? Yeah, look, you know, it's it's just about acknowledging that, uh, you know, the women are different in the workplace. You know, it's it's understanding that, you know, creating space for women isn't a bad thing. It's about working together. And that's what feminism is about, really. It's creating an, an equal opportunity for everybody. It's not that women want your job. They just want a seat at the table. So it's just about opening up and creating space for them to come in and potentially show you what hasn't been seen before. And I, and we're getting there, you know. It, it, it's not about a power struggle. It's just, like I said, everyone gets a piece of pie. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and not to mention some of the huge benefits that organisations can have if, if they embrace diversity. So, no, look, these are some of the some of the basics that I think, you know, where we're still struggling with as a country, but, you know, hopefully we're making some improvements. And Stacey, it's people like yourself who are, who is sort of you know helping us to um, to drive drive forward and, and and be where we need to be? So no, it's um it's fantastic work that you do. Talk to us now about um you know let, let's let's go back to to your on field. Um, you've you've had a remarkable career. We've touched on a couple of key highlights, but reflecting on it, what would be your biggest achievement uh, on the field? Oh, our twenty eighteen season season was is is one that we speak about often and it, you know the photos of that championship sit on my fridge and I see them every single day and it it just it keeps that fire alive in me um you know our 2018 was a season was didn't start out great uh we started our new team after playing for UNSW we'd won four championships at UNSW and that year they weren't putting in a team so we went to Sydney Uni and said hey will you take us and they're like yeah sure um so a majority of us went over. There was a whole bunch of rookies. We only won two games that whole season. Um, it didn't. It, it wasn't going great, and we were like, "What have we done?" Um, until all of a sudden, you know, again with my partner being pregnant and and, and just a whole bunch of things, um, you know, we got to the semis and we knocked out the number one, and we were ranked four. 
And we were like, oh, damn, you know. And, and to be fair, it wasn't even the grand final that was the, um, you know, the key moment. It was, it was that game. It was that moment because, you know, we all pushed through. We had limited numbers. Like I played every position, I think, that game. And we, we, just, we just got it done miraculously we got it done um and then we moved into the Opal Bowl where we took on you know our other panelist Pierre um in one of her grand final appearances and it came down to a goal line stand you know it was 14-6 uh Pierre had just taken an uh, interception from me back to the house uh and it was a tense tense time so I've jumped on you know on back onto the defense side of the ball and we've come with this goal line stand was just momentous and it really defined our season um you know and then kickoff happened and uh, we ended up scoring a touchdown and taking home the overall in our first inaugural year of competition and goddamn like that that was my biggest achievement because we all just came together you know no one no one else knows what we went through that season no one knows the struggles that we had on field and off field and but it was just the best time of our lives because we'd done something new and we we upset the odds. You know, we were the Cinderella story. It was crazy. Stacey, there, there's so many athletes that go their entire career without winning a grand final. If you could just bottle that game day uh, or, the, or that, 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 that experience of winning a championship, how, how can you describe it to people? For those that haven't, um, maybe, maybe they're not playing sport or, or they haven't been able to get over the line and win a championship, what's that feeling like? How, how would you describe that to someone after all, all that hard work? What is it like to actually win, win the whole thing? Oh man, it's it's looking over at 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 that mate that you've had on the team for years and years, and just looking in their eyes the second that the clock ticks down to zero. And I'm getting goosebumps even thinking about it right now. You know, I I look at my friend Haley, and you know, I just run over to her, and you know, the only thing you can say is we've done it. You know, and you know, there's a great photo of of me being picked up. Haley, you know, played O line. Um, you know, she's picked me up and I'm high up in the air and I'm doing the big fist bump and, and I'm so glad that that moment was captured because that's that's how it feels like. It's it's just, you know, and then it's not even the celebrating that makes it feel real. It's it's being surrounded by everybody just hugging and just the tears and just, you know, just the outpouring of emotion that happens knowing that you've achieved something that you didn't think was possible. Oh, it's uh, it, it's it's a special moment, and like you said, this is something that you know you can look back on and reflect on, um, you know, throughout your life. And and, and you also um, you also touched on um, a bit earlier um, going over to Canada as part of the, the Australian setup. Talk us through that because that, not every day do you jump on a plane, uh, go go across across the world to to be in such a an, an amazing environment. Yeah, talk us through that experience as well. Oh, that was one of that was one of the best experiences that you know we've ever had we've ever had in our lifetime it it was crazy intense um so the the trials had happened and i had had my bad hit in 2016 and the trials were happening that that year to go over to canada for the next year and um you know i just wasn't in a good place to be able to to compete and try out so um i was actually working with a company called huddle which is a sports tech company which is what you know the the analysis platform that every sports like football team in America and around the country and around the world uses for recruiting and and stats and analysis so I was actually working for them so they're like hey you're working for huddle can you come and do our film and so you know there was I spent a camp on top of a scaffold filming inside zone and and filming everything for every single training session and then breaking it down for all the coaches 
Um, and they're like, oh, do you guys want to come over and, and be our film crew and, and do the analysis from that? So we said, oh, hell yeah, why not? So you don't get many chances to go over, um, especially if you're not on the team. Uh, so we went over and uh, watched the girls being put through their paces at, you know, three-a-day training sessions. And, you know, we had one girl that had vertigo on the flight over, so she was standing there as a wide receiver just shaking a little bit when she was out in the practice field. And it was to, it was the most intense thing that I've, I've ever been a part of, just having so many girls, um, so many different personalities, and all still trying because they were cutting girls while we were over there. Um, you know, they, had, they took over a squad of... 47 they had to cut two to have a 45 um, game day schedule like uh, people on the team so everyone was still competing for their spots and um, you know so we went into camp for two weeks and then had a week of um, games against um, Great Britain Canada Mexico any sort of any plays stand out for you reflecting yes. on the tournament oh man uh, again, I have to go. I have, I have to. I have to go back to CJ. You know, she won MVP um, as D line um, in one Such of the, in our very athlete. first game. Such. Well, the thing the thing with CJ is that, like her. It's not entirely my t- story to tell, but if if you get a chance to talk to CJ about her story, um, you know, I was I just t- I just ask her about running laps because um, that's what I saw. Um, and after having my view of CJ be the one that laid me out flat, and you know. It was horrendous to go from being, um, you know, the one that was feared in competition, not because she, like, she's a great athlete, but she wasn't respected as an athlete. She was just big and strong and, and dirty, you know, and, and that that's how she was. That was her persona. And um, it took a special coach, Jen Welter, who was the very first NFL coach, female NFL coach. She was the coach for the Australian women's team. It took Jen Welter to make CJ, they call her CJ 2.0 now. Um, just because she changed her attitude and changed her game and changed her as a person. So being able to see that was sort of um, one of the things that made me want to be a coach because I saw a transformation of an athlete who was had so much potential but her attitude was wrong. You change that one thing, all of a sudden they become this amazing player, this amazing leader. Um, so CJ, our defensive unit was, our defensive line unit was the strongest in the competition. No. For a good couple of games, which is nice. No, that's uh, that's an incredible experience. That's, that's for sure. And then finally, uh, Stacey, tell us about your biggest achievement off the field. Oh, biggest achievement off the field. Yeah, look, I mean, I've I've been able to achieve a lot. I think when I think about it, you know, I've had the pleasure of being able to travel and work with professional sports as my career has sort of evolved over the last couple of you know eight ten years. So I'm really actually most proud of working with the skateboarding company that I was working with. So I was the head coach of their girls and schools programs, um, and I worked with the Inner West Council. And we ran a girls girls learn to try skateboarding sessions um, over a period of. Um, 18 months we started with eight girls at a session and ended up rotating through about 130 girls per session by the end of the 18 months and it was just crazy you know we won awards for for the program and things like that um but to see something like that evolve um from just being something that i like i i love to skate and i just wanted to show girls how to skate um that's where it started to all of a sudden, you know, 130 girls strong showing up at the skate park and taking over the skate park. There was no room for any anyone else in the parks. Um, so, yeah, it just got so big. But that's one of my biggest achievements, I think, because the sheer numbers of 
of what we achieved and to see those girls still out and about on the skateboards now and now seeing skateboarding in the Olympics is just crazy. No, it's great to see. And it just goes to show all of the, the great work that, you know, people like yourself, Stacey, are doing at that, at that junior level, you know, helping to, you know, encourage people to come through and um, not give up and, and fight their way through to the elite levels. But um, no, that's fantastic work. But Stacey, that's all the time we have today. I, I guess we, just really want to thank you for your time and uh, jumping on and yeah, giving a, giving the listeners an opportunity to learn more about you. No, thank you, mate. It's a, it's been a pleasure being able to to share share everything with uh, with the listeners and here's hoping for more exciting times. Sounds great. And listeners, if you did enjoy today's episode, please download, subscribe. Uh, don't forget to tell a friend about the new podcast, and we'll see you with the next episode. You have been listening to Mojo Sports. Thank you for your support. It is very much appreciated. The team and I are trying to build something a little different here, so everyone's support is very much appreciated. Continue to support the podcast, download, subscribe, check out our social media channels, give us a follow, and be sure to tell your friends about Australia's best-kept secret. This is Mojo Sports.